Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost with Joseph and Crystal Gruber, a podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, O Lord, our actions by thy holy inspiration, and carry them on by thy gracious assistance, that every word and work of ours may begin in thee, and by thee be happily ended. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hello, Allison. Hello. For those listening and or watching, this is Allison, a former teammate of mine and a civil engineer who has a, an emphasis on transportation. She's also mm-hmm. lived several different places in the world and has thoughts mm-hmm. about what makes for good community. And so I'm really excited to have her on, especially because she's calling in from Goa, India. Did I leave yes. anything else? I left so much out from your bio. I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. Yeah, um, got you got the main things. I studied civil engineering. Um, I also worked in the field for a few years as a road and highway design engineer. Um, and I took some pl- city planning classes in college also, and it's just a topic that I think a lot about. Um, so, yeah, we're going to chat about it. Yeah, you're also married with children. Those are good things to point out because they're like, yes, important. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Married, have three little kids. (laughs) We live in Goa because that's where my husband grew up. So, yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. So, Allison, you reached out because we had done an episode on what makes for community and the whole idea of zoning and suburbia. And I was reading a book that I I think for any real civil engineer, they would probably laugh at a lot of it because it's a popularized book, but it was eye opening for me as a layman who doesn't know anything about, you know, how the real world works. Yeah. And then you reached out saying that you had thoughts and noticing how different communities could form. I just, I just want to know, Allison, what makes for a good community? What, what, what are we missing? What do we need? What's, what's wrong with the world, Allison? (laughs) Oh, I don't know if I can answer that, but um, yeah, I do have thoughts about what makes a a vibrant community. And your last podcast was about, I think evangelizing in a car oriented world. Right. And so that was really interesting to me. Um, and it reminded me of, um, some topics that I studied in school. Uh, there's a, a woman named Jane Jacobs and she's kind of the mother of modern urban planning. And she writes a lot about that. Um, she lived in New York city, but she, she talked about how, um opportunities to encounter your neighbors in a community in a variety of ways makes for a more vibrant community so she was all for mixed use zoning which you touched on last time um and that that people should should live and work and shop and run their errands all in 
they should be able to do all of that in the neighborhood that they live in. And if you have a neighborhood where you have a butcher, you have a candy store, you have the schools nearby, um, you know, people work and live in the same area, then you're bound to run into your neighbors a lot and to learn things about them. And she talks about how um, when people are given the choice between sharing much of their lives with their neighbors or nothing at all, like is often the case in suburbia, people most often choose nothing at all because um, say if you, if there's a new person in your neighborhood and the only way to encounter them is to invite them into your house right away. Um, a lot of people won't do that because that feels really intimate. That's like, oh, suddenly, you know, a lot about my personal life. But if you have some basis to, to strike up conversation and to encounter them in a less intimate way at first, then a lot of that's easier for a lot of people um, to build off of. That's brilliant. Because when we moved yeah. into suburbia, no one invited us in. Mm -hmm. And when we reached out and invited people, everyone had reasons not to come. And <laughs> right. I, I, I think we all felt like this is too much too quickly. But I couldn't, for the life of me, think what is an intermediate step for me? Right. The so then that's, yeah. So then that's the question in, in the suburbs. How, how do you encounter your neighbors? Is there a good answer for that? Or are we ready to scrap suburbia step by step? I don't know. I don't know. I think there are some city planning policies that would help, um, that would help with some of these things, like you talked about in your last podcast, like more walkable streets or bikeable streets, reasons to be outside for the neighbors to come outside. Um, I mean, I think you mentioned last time, like you, you guys go on family walks. So I think that's a great way to try to encounter people if they come out as well. <laughs> um, I grew up in a fairly, well, it was sort of, I would call it suburban, um, but it was in a more rural area. But we um, had a farmer's market every Saturday morning. So that brought a lot of people out, a lot of neighbors out. Um, There's still some like locally owned corner stores and stuff like that. My grandpa always shopped at the like corner grocery store instead of the big chain ones. So there was still a little bit of that happening. Um, but yeah, I guess there are things that we can try to do individually and then ways that we can try to influence city planning policy. Um, How do we do that? Do I just go to my township headquarters and start talking to people about mixed use zoning and installing sidewalks or, or what's, what are, what are good ways to do this? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It might be, it might be different in each, each town, each place, but, um, there are different national 
groups. Like I think you mentioned one of them you were looking into in the last podcast mm-hmm. um, that you can try to. Yeah. Yeah. It was like good cities or I don't remember either, oh, but um, there's strong towns. Strong towns. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah there yeah, we yeah. go. <laughs> um, so there are different groups like that, that you can try to either start or be part of. Um, and in there may be like city meetings that include city planning policy and things like that, that you could try to attend often, um, when new projects are being proposed, there's a public comment period, which most people don't no, but um, all at least in California, the law was that at any public comment that was brought up during the public public comment period had to be addressed in the environmental document. Mm. So that's a way to at least get if if you know of um, projects being proposed in your area and you either really like them or really think they'll be bad for the community, you can get your voice out in that way. Um, yeah. Okay. So this this is if we want to encounter people. But like right. suburbia seems to have been constructed so that we don't have to. And Right. And there there's if I want to speak honestly and sometimes I do, there is something sort of cozy about not having to encounter strangers. There's something safer, something more secure, right? Like right now we're dealing with the fact that there's a neighborhood kid, the age of one of my kids, who does things that aren't as good as I would like and is Mm -hmm. maybe not the best influence on him. Like Mm -hmm. maybe if we weren't so open to new people, I wouldn't have to deal with this. And I think, Mm -hmm. and if I'm feeling that, and I was literally trained to be a missionary. And I feel like I, I, I still want to contract. I still want to retract. I still want to keep my guard up. Uh, I imagine it might be even worse for other people, at least conceivably. And so, yes. so to take these steps is one thing, but the desirability of it isn't, isn't immediately apparent. Unless you can make it apparent, Allison. Oh, well, I mean, I suppose that the argument would be the more that you encounter people and build relationships with neighbors and things like that, the more enriched your life will be. Um, But then I suppose there are the struggles like you just mentioned. Um, yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I, I just know there's a lot of inertia around this. There, there's a lot of um, habit in not talking to neighbors and not right in allowing the status quo to remain. And so the, the idea of an, a richer life, I think if there were clearer examples of it for us to lift up, mm-hmm. uh, 
So you've lived different places. You, you've lived in California. Mm-hmm. You lived in Washington. You now live in India. Where do you think richer experiences have come about? And, and, and do you recommend a richer life? <laughs> well, yes, I, I, uh, I would like to say so. Um, yes. So I grew up in a fairly suburban area and then I went to school in a very urban area. And that was a really different experience for me. I loved that. Um, being able, like you said, to, to walk almost anywhere that you needed to get anything. Um, the college campus plopped into a city environment. It's just, it's incredible. I, I only visited your campus once. Um, okay. But I was like, yes, this this is a college campus and this is a city enmeshed as it should be. Yes. Um, so I think just not having to get in a car all of the time, when you stop doing it so much, you realize how lovely it is to be able to walk a block and get some groceries or um things like that which of course isn't always an option for people in the suburbs but um but it could be over time it could be with a change in zoning like you talked about yeah so i don't know i don't know exactly the particulars of how to advocate for that but i think there are ways in each city or suburb that you could try to advocate for that um Right now we live in in India and um, I haven't looked it into this, but I don't think there are any single use zoning areas because even in India, it's a little different because um, there's the city area, which Goa Panjim is a, it's a smaller city. It's pretty dense, but it's not like Mumbai. Um, and then there's the village area where the houses are a little more spread out. So I guess it's a little more akin to the suburbs, but nowhere, nowhere have I seen, are there only houses because it's still very much, um, people, people live and do have their livelihoods often in the same place. So, um, at the bottom of people's houses on the ground floor, there will be they'll own a fruit and vegetable shop or they'll sell fish or um, they'll sell something. Um, And so it's very mixed use in that way here. Um, And so it does create, I think, a more vibrant community because especially when things are smaller and owned by the local people, then they get to know you, you get to know them. You see the same neighbors coming to the same place. Um, People can walk to get their things because it's right there. And so there's definitely more opportunity for encounter and getting to know people, learning something about people's habits, what they buy, you know, you can pay attention to those sort of things to have, conversation things to talk about so this is a thing in the in the 80s there was the television sitcom cheers and the the theme song was that you know it's the place where everybody knows your name right to, mm-hmm. to go to that bar and uh I, I was a missionary in boston i went to that bar a couple of times nobody knew my name false advertising 
Um, and then when we lived in Washington, uh, I had a friend who worked at Starbucks and they talked about how one of the goals of Starbucks was to be one of those third places for people. They talk about your, your primary place is your home. Your secondary place is probably your place of work. And then there's this third place where you get to be yourself and where people might come to know you. And, and the, the goal of Starbucks was to be that. But what you're uh-huh. describing is that every place you go, because it's local, because it's your neighbors, because it's the people you're going to see day in and day out, year in and year out, that every place becomes like a third place. Mm-hmm. And like you, you, your path is just littered with people who know you and you get to know them. Right. So it's like cheers, but in every certain, every kind of context. Yeah, something like that. That sounds better. It is nice, yeah, because um, you're not just this anonymous person floating through life, you know, that nobody knows. Um, We, um, in, in Goa, there's... Uh, every neighborhood has a small chapel as well. So um, a small chapel, a small grocery store, various things. So often if we're walking down the street near our house, um, somebody, some neighbor will recognize us and stop to talk to us. I don't even always know who they are, but they know my in-laws or, you know, something like that. So it's nice to feel grounded in a place, in a community where people know you and you know them and you can stop and have a little chat um, because yeah, living in the suburbs, there were some days, especially as a stay at home mom where I like, you feel like nobody knows you exist. You don't talk to anybody. Um, and that can be rather lonely. Yeah. And the um, idea of leaving means packing a car. Right. And kids into a car. Right. Um, yeah. Even today, one of my sons wanted to go to the library like, well, if we went to the library, it would be me packing up five children into a van. I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I wasn't up for it. I also had other things I needed to do today. Uh, so I felt bad, but, but that was also an additional hurdle was the loading into a car and then the unloading. Yeah. Versus if I could have just thrown a bag on a stroller, put the ones in the stroller that needed it. The other one's walking. Yeah. The other thing about that, I think, is um, that if if you have to drive, say, 15 minutes to take your kids somewhere, um, I don't know what your experience has been, but but sometimes people aren't so fond of a whole group of children being somewhere, and it is difficult to manage several little ones at the same time. I have never um, noticed but... anyone doing anything <laughs> other than smiling. Which really? Is, well, this is one of the, I mean, this is a, a very different topic, but the the reactions of people to a father taking children out versus uh, a well. mother, and that wasn't up to me, uh, their reaction, but it, it, it tends to be rather positive. So that yeah, is that's an interesting true. That's thing. true. But it, it is, I know it that. is a limiting factor for my wife. I know it's a mm-hmm. limiting factor for other friends. 
because it's the the same grace isn't given equally. Yeah. And that's intimidating. But um I think if I think if um if you're going somewhere with your children where you're just this anonymous person with these anonymous children, um people are less likely to be friendly perhaps or step in and help even but if you're within your community and people kind of know who you are and they kind of know who your children are i've found at least here people are often willing to you know sort of step in and help me and help look after the children if i'm with them by myself um and jane jacobs talks about that a little bit too that if um if you live in a vibrant community where there are shopkeepers and there's people around on the sidewalks and things like that, all of the neighborhood children are sort of looked after by everyone. Um, people keep their eyes, eyes on the street um, and sort of make sure that the neighborhood is safe for everyone. So I liked that concept that, you know, if your son, your small son runs across the street or something like that without looking, well, the candy store owner might see that and sort of, you know, tell him that he shouldn't do that and then talk to you about it later. So there's always someone sort of looking after your children and helping in that way. So I liked that concept. But Yeah. For, yeah. for families, that seems a very um, telling feature, right? This, this is not what you have. Mm-hmm going on in most communities in the United States to have that kind of attentiveness, charitable attentiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. not um, looking out for the common good, right? Not, not mm-hmm. doing it just to judge for judgment's sake. Um, right. So that's an interesting thing. There was a comment you made, and I've heard you talk about this before, about there being a neighborhood chapel. Uh, mm-hmm. can, can you talk a little bit more about what that is in Goa and maybe we can contrast that a little bit with the typical parochial experience in the United States at least? Yeah. Yeah. So in Goa, there tends to be one larger main church for an area, but then the um, the neighborhoods are broken into different zones um, and so certain zones are supposed to go to the closer chapel. And it's also supposed to be a place for, um, you know, older people or who, who can't travel as far to have, to have a church right next to their house. Um, so we, we most often go to the small chapel for mass. Um, and it's just all your neighbors, all of the houses right around, right around the church. So it's definitely a different thing than what I experienced in California, which is we chose which church we wanted to go to. And then we drove 20 minutes to that church. Um, so none of the people who went there were our neighbors. So very different experience. Yeah. Which it's, uh, yeah, I, we have, uh, different kinds of churches on a lot of different church uh, corners in the United States, but they're all different flavors of Christianity, right? Like a Methodist mm-hmm. church followed by a Lutheran church, followed by a Presbyterian, then a Baptist and a non-denominational. 
And the distribution Mm -hmm. approximates that kind of almost, you know, every other street corner, depending on what part of the country you're in. Mm -hmm. Um, But because no one denomination nor the Catholic Church has won out in any of these areas, they're not drawing from just the immediate vicinity. They're drawing from anyone who belongs to that denomination or to that church. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's at least, like, you could see how if, say, the Catholic Church actually evangelized effectively for a few years, that there would be buildings for that to happen in that could be reconstituted Mm -hmm. and consecrated for that purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the the current state being that we, we go to church not with necessarily our neighbors, that it's a little mm-hmm. bit more like a club than it is a community. Yeah. And this is this is a huge distinction that Chesterton brings up a lot. We podcasted on this oh like a hundred episodes ago or so, where he talks about the difference between joining a club where you have particular interests that draw you together and it's people who are alike versus a real neighborhood or a community where you're not gathered because you have the same things in common. Right. And you're forced outside of your, he talks about, you know, the people who go traveling are probably just going to talk to people like them. The people who stay home and actually talk to their neighbor are going to have much more challenging, much more enriching conversations Mm -hmm. than the world traveler. Yeah. And I don't know if that's particularly true. I've had wonderfully challenging conversations with all sorts of different people. Um, <laughs> but uh, but again, this, this notion, do we just spend time with the people that we choose? Or do we allow the... Um, the, the forces of the world undergirded obviously by providence to provide the people for us to love. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. A challenging question. Well, I mean, honestly, the answer is usually it's the people that I like. Right. 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 Because in order to spend time with anyone else, I have to invite someone I don't like or don't know into a more intimate setting. Which is sometimes difficult yeah, and scary. Yeah. Both in the giving of the invitation and the receiving, I think. Right. Is there any good to the current state of things with the, the kinds of zoning that we have, the, the suburban sprawl? Can, what can we affirm with what's already there? Like when we look out, what what do you think? Um, yeah, I I mean, I think there are good things about it. I think that um, things like having having a backyard um, for your children to play in is easier in a a suburban area um while there are 
things that aren't so fun about loading the kids up in the car and taking them somewhere. Sometimes, sometimes it's easier to do that. Um, yeah. 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 The, the ownership of suppose, property seems like a good. Right. Yeah. It's often more affordable than in the city as well. Yeah. I like owning property. That is something. Yeah. Ever since I read about it in Rerum Navarum, where Pope Leo says, as creatures endowed with an intellect that can envision a future, we actually have a right to pro provide for ourselves. And one of the ways to provide for oneself is to own the land that you can work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Most people don't work the land that they own in suburbia. In fact, a lot of zoning goes against that, right? Like if That's we wanted true. to have chickens, technically we could uh, under certain stricter restrictions, which makes sense in this particular case. I don't want to badmouth my township for that. Uh, mm -hmm. But we can have a garden. I don't think we could have goats. But uh, yeah. We could definitely plant trees. That's definitely a thing yeah. that we could do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, and I think, I think there's a little bit of a movement towards that. Um, I've heard of several people, you know, having chickens in their backyard and things of that sort. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be a way to reclaim that aspect of suburbia. If, if it can be something where we uh, actually get to spend productive time there, you know, right now, Crystal and I are working from home predominantly as we're starting mm -hmm. marriage ministry. And mm -hmm. that's afforded different opportunities. We, we see some of our neighbors, at least, you know, from afar more often than we used to, or more often mm -hmm. than I used to. Um. And that was one thing that COVID did when everybody stayed home and worked from home if they could. Right. They, yeah. They suddenly realized that there is a potential to work from home. Right. And for some people it worked out and some people it didn't. Um, hmm. Let's see. I don't know, Allison. I just, I just, the, <laughs> the problem that I see most is the, the lack of momentum. Like even yeah. um, a while back, I was talking with friends in, in my town just about the homes that they owned and about how, mm -hmm. you know, some of them were empty nesters. They had extra bedrooms. I'm like, what, what are you doing with that? Like, what does, mm -hmm. it, why does that even exist? And um, 
they they had no answer, but they also didn't have very much drive to find an answer. And I don't know yeah. if that just means we need to talk more about the, the way that we use land, the way that we use property, the way that we understand um, what you know the single use zoning has done for community, or rather, what it has damaged in community. Um, mm-hmm. Or if it's better to do something like move to another country, right? Or, or, <laughs> or at least another state where maybe this has been resolved more. Um, yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, well, well, I suppose, I suppose you could do that, but then you're then leaving behind a whole group of people whose minds and hearts could be changed towards something better. Um, yeah. I don't know, but it is, it is hard for people to change their lifestyles, I think. Um, but there are certain, there's certain, um, think tanks or, um, resources i suppose that talk about this a lot like the the new polity podcast and um things like that that i think are changing people's minds and hearts towards something better yeah there's definitely more of a conversation along these lines Mm -hmm. i wonder if there are certain inflection points in someone's life when they're more open to these kinds of questions uh I mean, this is one of the reasons why you and I served as focus missionaries is that college age mm-hmm. people, that is a huge inflection point for when they're making decisions about what's coming next. Right. But I'm wondering, like, if the moment the youngest child moves out, is that an inflection point for people to really reconsider their lifestyle? Um, yeah. Marriage seems to be that time. Um, yeah, like any any big change that's changing your life in a drastic way anyways is a good time to change it even a little more yeah so i wonder if if specifically trying to talk to friends in those inflection periods of time about these kinds of questions if that's a helpful Mm -hmm. thing but then i also don't want to give up because if you're saying between marriage and uh empty kids moving out (laughs) a long time it's a pretty big gap (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's true yeah and maybe there are like smaller inflection points like choosing a school for your firstborn or choosing a high school Uh, right like i've known people who picked up and moved so that they could take their kids to a better high school yeah Right. Yeah. And uh, so clearly that that is a point where people can say, maybe we could live differently at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I also think that. um, That people witnessing a different lifestyle can be really impactful because often we're just going along with the type of lifestyle we grew up in or what everyone else around us is doing. And we think this is just how life is. This is what life is. And then you see somebody else 
living differently say, oh, if they can grow a garden in their backyard, maybe I can, you know, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that is one of our goals is to live a little bit differently. Maybe a lot of it differently. Right. <laughs> maybe a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and I, I suppose I discount that pretty quickly because it's not like a, it's not necessarily a fast acting method, right. nor is it one where I necessarily know what impact we've had. Like if I talk to someone and I see a light bulb go off in their heads, or if I see gears churning and, and they're like, oh, I'm going to have to talk to, to my spouse about this, or I'm going to have to think about this mm-hmm. versus somebody seeing, oh, we have a garden or, oh, we're using our land differently or, mm-hmm. um, we're having more kids than typical or more mm-hmm. people over more regularly. Um, and, and I suppose this is one of the selfish things about me, Allison, is that I like to know uh, whether what I'm doing is working. Right. So that doesn't have as much appeal, just the pure witness. But I conceptually, yes. I, I, see, I see that you have a point there. Mm-hmm. Do I hear a baby in the background? There's a baby in the background. He's starting to wake up. Oh no. We should probably wrap <laughs> up then. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Ah, baby. Just hold him for a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if you actually want him on the screen. But uh, I did get a flash of him. I don't mind. He's cute. Oh, look at him. Yeah. Oh, he's so big. (laughs) He's quite big. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. So to sort of sum up. uh, Right. There are such communities that exist where there are corner stores, where people do Mm -hmm. run into each other. They exist. Mm -hmm. One solution Mm -hmm. is to just move there. Another one is to try to live a little bit differently, to get involved in the city planning, to get involved in these uh, public hearings and to have our voices be heard, get involved in different movements that are already existing. If a Mm -hmm. chapter from Strong Towns or, or something equivalent exists to participate in that Mm -hmm. Um, but all of this really hinges on this question of whether or not we want to encounter anyone Mm -hmm. that that's the teeter point right like this is this is where the whole idea of a catholic apostolate uh will succeed or not this is where uh the richness of one's life uh will increase or decrease um so it sounds like it should be an easy question. It sounds like it should be a no-brainer. Right. And it's not, Allison. And uh, this podcast didn't have to solve that, but it did have to at least say that out loud. Yeah. Yes. I think that's something for all of us to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I will be thinking about that. I will be traveling this week. And I'm going to be talking to people about it. So I'm excited about that. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's one of the things Crystal and I think what is going to change the world the most? I don't know for sure. Maybe some natural cataclysm that wipes out most of the people mm-hmm. in the world. That would probably do the most changing. Yeah, uh, could but happen, short of that, yeah. Uh, but short of that, living differently to, to love one's spouse, to love one's neighbor, to love God, yeah. and to do those things well, those seem both within our grasp in terms of mm-hmm. doable, mm-hmm. Um, but they also, I got to believe that they're, they are powerful because otherwise we're pretty powerless, Allison, if uh, yeah. loving God and loving neighbor doesn't do very much. Because I don't know what, the other options are like hating people and hating God. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. really want to do that. That doesn't sound like a, not, a good option. <laughs> <laughs> um, or apathy, right? Like John Paul II talks yeah. about use being the opposite of, of love. I think apathy is also a pretty good opposite of love. Um, and, and that's sort of what we've been trained in. Yeah, that's true. Which is a sad and scary thing, but I think, you know, hearing as missionaries, we've heard some stories of, of people who, who someone, you know, loving them um, and showing them love, the love of God did make all the difference for them. Um, so yeah, I think can't underestimate that. Um, yeah. You're right. (laughs) It is the greatest commandment after all. Yeah. Well, on that note, we should wrap up. Thank you so much for the delightful conversation, Allison. Yeah. Thank you. It was fun. Would you like to close us in prayer? Oh, sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, Thank you, Lord, for this time that we've been able to connect and um, talk about how to encounter people in the communities in which we live. Um, We ask you to just give us the grace to have hearts that desire to encounter and love the people around us um, and give us the courage and the the drive to go out into the world and do that. Um, And we lift up all of our communities and our neighbors to you um, and ask you to bless them and use us uh, to lead them to you, if that be your will. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Allison. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Um, I should probably un- press the record button. Yeah. Okay. Um. Recording in progress. We were chatting post-episode and realized there were a couple of points we should probably say out loud for all of you, our audience. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you want to talk so about you, the the risk factor? Right. Yeah. Um, you were talking about in your um, in in the house that you live in now that you think it used to there used to be some home business from the basement and that there's not very much of that. There might be one other person um, near you with the home home business. So we were talking about how if more people thought about thing what they could do from from their homes, businesses that they could run from their homes that um, that would enrich neighborhoods as well. But we can see how if you have a corporate job or something like that, something very steady income, um, it can seem really overwhelming and, and scary to step away from that and to delve into something higher risk, like running your own business. Yeah. But that it could be very enriching for yourself and, and the community that you live in. Yeah. It's, it, it, in order to run one's own business, it, it means everything is up to that person, which right. uh, heightens one's senses a little bit of reality and capacity, which mm -hmm. is a good thing. Uh, but as far as risk goes, it's also exacerbated by the fact that most people are in debt, whether it be because of the education they received or because of the last car they bought or because of the house that they're in or because of consumer debt of some other kind. And any amount of debt just paralyzes people, paralyzes people from taking risks to leave the steady job where they know that they can make the payments. Mm -hmm. And um, so the, the second point that we talked about post-record, now we're back, uh, was that th the system is really rigged against uh, us from having this kind of richer life that we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. What do we do with that? <laughs> I mean, feel a little bit less bad that we're in this plight. Like we're, yeah. we're here. Uh, not, not that we need to have a, a kind of victim mentality, but to say like, you know, something wrong was done or many smaller wrongs has, have been done maybe unintentionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but if we don't realize that we're starting out sort of in the hole, that we d we won't know why we can't see the horizon, like, because mm -hmm. we're, you know, buried in ideas about debt, ideas about worth, ideas about uh, what the American dream is, about what the suburban mm -hmm. dream is, um, about what the ideal family is, and all of these things. Uh, have been meddled with over the years and they're worth dusting off and, and revisiting being like, why do I think my life has to be this way? Right. Why do I think safety is the best thing? What is my safety net other than the steady job? Mm -hmm. Why don't I have friends or family and what can I do to build yeah. stronger friends? Yeah. And then if you are a parent as well, thinking about how can I show my children a different path, maybe than what I've been shown um, by thinking through those, those different topics. Yeah. At least letting them know yeah. there are options and uh, 
yeah. Anyway, it seemed worthwhile to press the record button again to mention like, yeah, we can have that richer life. One of the things that could enrich it is by becoming our own small business owner, like to be a small mm-hmm. business owner. And um, most people aren't thinking that way. And yeah. if more people did, then more people would frequent small businesses. Right. Or if it's even something that you can do in addition or on the side or maybe in combination with some other sort of more steady paying work, that would be interesting. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a jump with both feet all at once. It can be putting a toe in, kicking around a little bit. Like this is, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, starting a business, it doesn't have to be all at once. Right. Uh, If it is all at once, it's sort of like building an airplane while you're flying it. (laughs) Yeah. Not as recommended. So. Yeah. Okay. Those seemed important. I'm going to let us all go now. And, okay. And uh, I'll just end the recording. Thanks so much, Alice. Okay. Yeah. Recording stopped.